Uh, how's everybody doing so far? Um, I've learned two things so far in 2017. Can I share them with you? First thing I learned is, I don't know, uh, some of you guys may not realize this, but um, up until just a few months ago, I was the lead worship pastor here. Uh, and so I, you know, did what I, we just did together. I did that every, every Sunday. And when you do something like every Sunday, you know, you, the, the creative juices and, and the, the ability to just execute music uh, is become, it comes uh, second nature. And, uh, and your body sort of, if you've ever trained for a race, you know, when you're, when you're kind of in the flow, like everything's just firing on all cylinders. And so when I was doing this for years and years and years, you know, my, my voice and my, my hands and everything was pretty finely tuned to be able to do all these things. Let me tell you, it's been a few months since I've done this. Um, these songs are high. And so I learned this morning, I actually, I actually spoke the words. I was like, man, I'm not 30 anymore. And then I thought for a second, I'm like, I ain't 40 anymore. <laughs> so uh, what I've learned all, all, all of us already in 2017 is, you know, you can't just pick up something that you've maybe uh, set aside for a while and just jump right back into it. Second thing I learned is on New Year's Eve, if someone offers you something called a sausage bomb to eat, you will want to eat it. Um, but if your name is Eric, it, it probably will not be a good idea for you to eat something called a sausage bomb. So I woke up at like 2 a.m. and I was like, oh, the, the sausage bomb is bombing me back. Um, so that's how I started my 2017. I brought in, uh, brought in my journals. If you guys know me at all, you know, every year I get a new journal, always black, always leather. This morning or this year I'm trying uh, something uh, uh, different, something, two journals, and I got pens and everything. I thought today we would just spend a couple moments the way we've been doing the last few years, and that's just talking real practical, because I believe in, I believe in the passage of time, and I believe that time and, and, and marking time is important, and so I know that sometimes people are really down on resolutions. I don't make resolutions, and the statistics on, quote, resolutions uh, are, are pretty bad. You know, I think it's something like two weeks. People stick with a resolution for like two weeks and they're kind of like, you know, the, the health club membership goes unused after that or whatnot. But in light of that, actually, I still really believe in it. And I value New Year's, the, the time between Christmas and New Year's is one of the uh, most favorite times of year for me because I actually do a ton of reflecting. Um, I, I read my old journals. I look back on my year and see what has happened because I forget a lot, you know, like I think that I remember everything that happened in March, but uh, that's not true. You know, and just going back and reading my journals, I'm like, man, I forgot that that great thing happened or I forgot that lousy thing happened. And it's just good for me to go back and recapture those memories and then also spending some time going like, well, where's my life going? And, um, and so what I want to do is offer you guys today just a, a shorter capsule version of what I do and some questions that we can use together. And I, we passed out stuff as you came in, should have gotten a handout with these questions on it. And there's pens around if you need, if you need one to write stuff down with. But I want to tell you, I want to actually start off with the why this morning, because I want to talk to you about like, in light of these facts about resolutions, why, why do we still do it? You know, why do I keep trying and keep using this. And I actually want to tell you that it's connected to something very, very deeply uh, spiritual and something very, very deeply true about God. And the way I would start this is to ask you to uh, think about 
what it was like for a really, 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 really ancient person in the Near East. You know, so like thousands and thousands of years ago, before we had all the technology that we had, um, the, Bible, the Bible is written in, in the ancient Near Eastern culture. And so, you know, I have to take that for granted when I, when I read the Bible and when I try to understand it. And what I would suggest to you is that uh, in the ancient Near East, people who are rel- mostly farmers, maybe they own some, some sheep or some goats or some cows, they have a very, very different existence than, than me, you know? I mean, I, I uh, grew up in the country, but I've lived mostly a suburban or an urban existence, right? And, and for all of us, whether you grow up in the country or grow up in the city, we're all modern people. And so we don't have the same rhythms and the same, like, you know, at certain points of the year, back before refrigeration, you couldn't go to the grocery store and get certain types of food. So the, the life that they lived was, had a different rhythm to it. We can get whatever we want, whenever we want. That's new in history. And the reason this is important is that for an ancient person, uh, the, most, the most critical uh, aspect of their, if you want to call it a spiritual life, was that it was the same. Because when you're a farmer and you depend on rain and sun to come, or if you're a, a shepherd and you depend on grass growing up, or if you're a fisherman and you depend, you depend on the fish showing up at certain points in the water at certain times of the year, the most important thing to you is that reliability. You understand what I'm saying? So uh, in other words, as the, as the time passes, as the sun goes down multiple days, as the months go by, you begin to rely on, hey, at certain points uh, of, of the year, it's going to be warmer. At certain points, it's going to be colder. But this all contributes to the crops growing, right? And the thing that you don't want to happen is a disturbance in that cycle. Because what happens if there's a disturbance in that cycle? The crops don't grow, right? And so to an ancient person, a really ancient person, the reliability of the rhythm of things was so important. And, and the image for that reliability is the wheel, you know? And so for an ancient person, life was just a wheel that was lived again and again and again. Because if it wasn't, those chances were that you were gonna lose because the fish wouldn't show up or the, the cows wouldn't get the nourishment they needed or the crops wouldn't grow, right? And so everything in the spiritual life of an ancient person was designed to make sure that that wheel kept turning. So when you offered things to a God, whatever God that you worshiped in the ancient Near East, you offered them up in order to make sure that the crops would grow so that there was no disturbance in that cycle. So the idea that something new might happen caused as much anxiety and stress in you as excitement. Like we think of new and we're like, yeah, new, like new iPod or new iPhone. It's been, it's been six minutes. Where's the newest iPhone? Um, life wasn't like that for, for these folks. They wanted and they thought they needed just the repeating of the same rhythms and same cycles. And uh, that's all fine and dandy until uh, the God of the Bible shows up and he interjects himself into this reality 
in a really, really amazing way. It's actually something that we studied back in our origin series in the fall. Uh, Pastor Mark taught us about this when in Genesis 12, the God of the Bible shows up to a guy named Abram and interrupts this whole rhythm of life. The whole idea that life just keeps repeating itself and last year's gonna be the same as this year and that's okay because we don't want anything new to happen because it might disturb the crops or the, or, the, or the cows or whatever. And then in Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go, go to the land. And so, you know, Mark kind of encapsulated this. If you don't know what this means, leaving your father's family for Abram is much bigger than just moving out of your folks' basement. It's much bigger than saying, you know, uh, I have to leave and go from, you know, Tallahassee to Jacksonville or wherever it is you might have grown up. This is a departure spiritually for Abram. In other words, it's something new. God steps in to this culture that has just been used to this wheel just turning, this turning. Everything just repeats and all of a sudden, the God of the Bible steps into this guy named Abram's life and says, eh! leave and go. And if you know the God of this Bible, uh, I've spent years running after him and, and wrestling with these texts. I would actually say that one of, the, one of my favorite words and titles for, for the God of the Bible is the God of the new. That God is not afraid of newness. And he does it over and over again. Whenever people, whenever God's people kind of get settled into the way things are, well, let's just hope that last year repeats this year. And let's hope that nothing else gets disturbed and our cheese doesn't get moved. God shows up and he's like, I moved your cheese. What are you gonna do about it? He's the God of the new. And he shows up and he's like, Abram, the wheel is not gonna be the way things are anymore. You are going to leave behind your father. And in this culture, your father determined who you worshiped. Your father's gods were your gods. So Abram grows up in this pagan household. His gods are determined by his family. And the God of the Bible says, it's time for something new. And Abram goes, Okay, what a gutsy, gutsy, courageous call that he steps out from everything he knows, from shelter, from safety, from security, and just goes, all right, let's do it. And then God starts this newness thing, and he repeats it again in uh, just a, chap a book later in the Bible, in Exodus 12. In Exodus 12, um, God has just, he's wrecked the country of, of Egypt. You know, his people are enslaved and God says, my people shall not be enslaved. He shows up to Pharaoh, let my people go. You guys know this story, the plagues. And finally, Pharaoh releases his hold on God's people. And, uh, and they, they, they're getting ready to celebrate something called the Passover. And this is what the text says here in Exodus 12. Um, while the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month, 
will be the first month of the year for you. And I love that because you have to understand that, that God's people are enslaved for hundreds and hundreds of years. Their culture is Egypt's culture. Their life is the life that they knew under Pharaoh. But God has set them free. And in this moment, he says, guess what? The very way that you reckon time now is going to be different. Because you're no longer slaves. That's not your identity. Guess what? You're not living on Egypt time anymore. You're living on God time. And in that, he also is simply saying, look, time matters. Because time to them, I think, had, you would almost say, had their minds and their, had their hearts captured. Because every time they reckoned the new year by Egypt's time, it was just a reminder of who they were. Oh, yeah, we're slaves. Because it's the new year in Egypt. And we're still in Egypt. But Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is like, you're not in Egypt anymore. So now, when it's the new year, you look and go, oh, the new year is now on God's time. And the new year now is a reminder for us that we're not slaves. Does this make sense? You understand where I'm coming from? God values time. And so it leads me to sort of two vague principles or, or, or main principles that I want to unpack for you and just kind of let you know why New Year's and this time means so much to me. And the first is this, that time is a gift to us. Time is a gift to us for us to work out, as the Bible says, our salvation. It's an opportunity for us to grow. A Christian psychologist, a guy named Henry Cloud, he wrote a book once and he actually put this really, really beautiful ways. He's like, look, when, um, when Adam and Eve make the mistake they make and they get cast out of Egypt, one of the gifts that God gives humanity is the gift of time. He doesn't just wipe, the sl the wipe everything off the table and go, well, that didn't work, let's start over. But he also doesn't just say, oh, come back in the garden. He says, no, like you're going to live east of Eden now. You're going to live in this reality. But that time is an opportunity to redeem your, your life through the Holy Spirit. And so every time that I come around New Year's, I, I look at that and I'm like, okay, I've been given the gift, the grace of 365 more days, ideally, God willing, for me to figure out how to be a better human being. For me to think about how can I move the, the, the needle just a little bit more to the right on the things that matter to God and matter to me and matter to my family. You know, for me, I think about, um, you know, kind of what Paul writes in the book of Galatians. It's called the fruit of the spirit. You know, where Paul says, look, the fruit of the spirit, the Holy Spirit is like a life of like love and compassion and peace and kindness. And does that sound like a decent life to anybody? That's the way I look. And I'm like, how can I be a more loving, kind, compassionate person in 2017? Because it's a gift that I've been given. That's why it matters to me to, to actually take some time at the end of the year and go, how'd I do? And how can I get better? Because God values time. You know, one of the things, uh, one of the things that most biblical scholars would point out, and I don't want to burst anybody's bu bubble, but uh, there is almost no consensus, utter consensus on any biblical geographic site, okay? Like we have 
almost scholarly consensus of like where Mount Sinai is, almost scholarly consensus about where Jesus' tomb was, but there's always a certain level of uncertainty because it's, it's ancient, ancient, ancient history. And, a lot, and some of the scholars I've read was like, God set it up this way. Because God knew that if we knew where exactly something happens, as human beings, we have a tendency toward this something called idolatry. And so if we knew exactly where Mount Sinai was, if we knew exactly where uh, Jesus was born, again, sorry if I'm bursting any bubbles, but sometimes where the churches are built are not. That's just kind of where tradition arose. And you can actually see some bents towards idolatry even in some of these churches. That God would say, you'll, you'll mistake the site for actually the person and the God behind the site. So God is not a God that sanctifies space because he lives in our hearts, but God sanctifies time. Because if you ever read the Bible, he's like, hey, every seven days, there's a something called a Sabbath. And repeatedly, he's like, treasure the Sabbath. Time is important to God. The second principle that I have to understand and I'm constantly wrestling with is this, that any unused time will flow towards my weakness and my brokenness. So this is the flip side of this because uh, in my life, I tend to be reactive. My, my personality is reactive. I person, like, I'll schedule things and then try to figure out how to react to the scheduling mistakes that I made. You know, oh, I just scheduled six meetings in a day. Oh my, what should I do? And so I, I have a problem and I struggle with being proactive and seizing the time that God has given me. And whenever I don't do that, that time flows towards two places or actually in my life, a lot more than two. One, it flows towards my weakness, which is I, I'm not the most administratively organized person, right? And so if I don't control my time, that time will inevitably veer itself into an area where I am scrambling to stay organized. It just does. If I stay on top of my schedule, then usually I can ask people who are more gifted administratively to go, can you help me with this? But if it's unseized, I'm just in reaction mode, then I'm just like trying to get things printed out, trying to get people where they need to be. Unused time flows inevitably towards my, my weakness. It also flows towards our brokenness. So if you have a struggle, you know, with uh, uh, watching too much TV, you know, or uh, uh, eating too much or, or, you know, being on Facebook too much, if you don't control your time, if you don't look and go, God, you've given me this gift of time, how should I best use it? Guess where you will end up? You'll end up in the kitchen. You'll end up on Facebook. You'll end up in front of the TV. It's just the way it works out for me. These are two concepts that I've just had to kind of let sink down into my soul because inevitably they've proven to be true in my life over and over and over again. And so uh, what I want to do is offer you guys five questions that help me process my life and 
And, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I just Googled, like, reflection questions. So there's nothing special in these questions. Um, you can find, maybe you have better ones. But for those of you who don't, and you don't have to do this now. You can write things down now. You can just take this home and process it in a, in a longer period of time. But these are five questions that are helpful, I think, in thinking about what we've been through and what we might be going towards. First question is, what were you the most proud of and grateful for this year? What is that, what is that thing that you would look back? And, and again, like this is why I keep a journal. Because I tell you, uh, I actually was looking through it yesterday and I forgot like two amazing things. We were kind of talking about, uh, Shana was asking me, what are you grateful for? And I, and I kind of thought I remembered some of those things, but I went back to my journal. I was like, oh wait, like I did this thing in January that I was forgotten. I had the journal that captures like how amazing what that felt like. And this is really, really important because if you know me at all, I would say that gratitude is the skeleton key to the spiritual life. Gratitude is the thing that opens up all spirituality to me. If, if you don't know who God is, if you're in this room and you're like, I don't know who God is, I kind of feel like a misfit, I don't know who Jesus is, I'm, I'm, I would flunk any Bible quiz, guess what? I would just say, look, can you start with being grateful? If you can start with being grateful, you're probably better off than a lot of people who get an A on the Bible test. Because if you read the Gospels, you would find that Jesus, uh, he has more compassion for the people who are grateful and, and, and clueless than the people who get A's on all the Sunday school tests. Gratitude simply unlocks the part of our hearts that God can work with. All right? Second question, um, what lessons did you learn? Both good and bad. Uh, Book of Proverbs has a great proverb that uh, a dog will return to his vomit just like a fool returns to his folly, which is one of those Bible verses right up there on the factor, like don't want that visual, right? But we forget. That's our nature. So take some time, maybe today or the next couple of days uh, while you have, while you're in this space to think back like, man, where did I get my butt kicked this year? And maybe, maybe if you're heading right down that same alley to get your butt kicked again in a couple months, you go, oh, wait a minute. I've been down this road before. On the, on the flip side of that, where did I, like what lessons did you learn in a positive way? Man, where did I really just feel God's wind in my sails? Where did I learn a lesson that was good? So learn maybe to repeat that behavior too. Next question. What do you need to forgive yourself or for or others for? Dan alluded to this, you know. Sometimes that list of forgiveness, like we have a, a really long list of people uh, that we need to forgive and we forget that there's things that we need to forgive ourselves for. It really starts with us. Or on the flip side of that, maybe your forgiveness list is really short. <laughs> you can't think of anybody to forgive, but if you sat down and you're like, oh man, I haven't let myself off the hook for that thing that I've done. You know, and this is modeled in the Gospels. You know, at one point, Jesus' disciples like, hey, Jesus, if somebody does something wrong to me, uh, how many times should I forgive them? Seven? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. He says, 70 times seven, which is Jesus' shorthand, uh, Jesus shorthand for like, you do it until forever. <laughs> so 
like, is there somebody or something in 2016 that you need to forgive? Because those things will hang us up. And most of the time, uh, when we forgive somebody, we find out that the person, you know, this is a cliche, I've used this before, the person who gets set free from that is actually us. That person that's wronged us, and we go to them, or maybe we don't go to them, but we just name it, and we go, I forgive, fill in the blank, and then all of a sudden, but the person that we feel ourselves, like something just breaks open inside us, you're like, no, I'm free now. I'm free. And here's a point about forgiveness. It needs to be specific. A lot of times we, we want to forgive them. Them. Uh, forgiveness really works when you name it as specifically as you can name it. It could be a former employer. It could be a, a, a person. It could be a relationship. It could be a spouse, an ex-spouse. You used to be like, I forgive this person because I need to move on with my life. Next question. What are your intentions for 2017? This is, again, this is this proactive and reactive thing, right? I love this cliche, aim at nothing every time and you'll, you'll hit it. And I think when I used to think about my life, that was the way I lived my life, man. I was just kind of like, well, let's just see. We'll just go with the flow. And uh, when that happens, in a way, you're successful every time, but you really don't have much to show for it. So as you're sitting here in two, on the on the front end, day one, hour, whatever, uh, 11 of 2017, what are your intentions for this year? What will you become? What do you want to achieve, God willing? What do you want to gain? How do you want to move your needle forward a little bit? I was thinking about this passage in, in, a, in a book called Second Timothy, which is uh, one of the early church leaders, a guy named Paul's writing to this young young uh, Christian leader, and he, he has this great quote. He says, look, uh, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master, that's God, to use you for every good work. And I think Paul's just saying, look, look, Timothy, what are your intentions for your life? God wants to use you. But you have to kind of get up off of your butt, Timothy, and say, I want to make my life about this. And that's going to require saying yes to some things. It's going to require saying no to some things. And then the last question is simply this. I like this. What, what word will be your 2017 theme? And I think this is just a way to kind of make this really uh, memorable as you process through all of these things. Maybe one word can, uh, just kind of nails it. And you can just write that on an index card and put it somewhere in your car or, or in your cube or, or somewhere where it's in front of you. For me, I can never come up with, with one word. So I always have multiple words. Um, I'll just, I'll share with you because I start this process a little bit early. Um, this is, again, this is my 2017 journal. And so this is kind of the, the, the words. I don't know how many of these you can read, but I just start writing the themes for, for my 2017. Uh, one word is rest, that I want to be, I want to do better at resting, uh, which kind of sounds odd maybe, but just do my words. Create, uh, center, dream. I want to dream more. 
uh, produce more. I just wanna, uh, there's things that God is calling me to do. I wanna lead better and I wanna finish. The list of projects that I've started and not finished is pretty long. So for me, one of my themes of 2017 is, Eric, finish it. Push it across the finish line. And then just uh, for me, reading and, and writing is, is always a big deal. And this is, like I said, just a way to keep these in front of you because it's our nature that we forget. So you might write all these things down, but if you don't find a way to just get it in front of your eyes constantly, in three months, you'll be like, what, what, what did I do? So maybe this handout today is, is where you can use that and just kind of keep it with you. And I've also kind of uh, put on the handout that sometimes accountability is helpful. So maybe for these last two questions, you'll share those with the growth group or maybe with even us. You can tweet those at us or put them on our Facebook walls. Just say, hey, uh, you know, my theme is gonna be this and I'm inviting my church family to watch me do this or keep me accountable for it. And that's good. And, and um, just so you guys know, these next two questions, uh, next Sunday, January 8th, we're gonna be uh, laying what the intentions for E3 are, are for the next six months of our life together. We call it Vision Sunday. It's not that big a deal. It's just where we can say, look, what are the intentions for our community as best as the staff can see it? And what are the themes? So if you wanna know, if you're new here, especially you're like, man, what is E3? Where is the line in the sand at E3? What are the things that we're about? Come next Sunday, we wanna lay them out for you guys really, really um, simply and hopefully in a compelling manner. I wanna end like this. We're gonna sing some more songs just because we kind of thought it'd be kind of cool to do that. Um, all, this, all this is very, very important, but it's also held with, with light hands because you know what? God can do whatever. I had all these great plans for 2016, but then uh, God's like, well, what if, you trans what if you left behind leading worship and moved into being a lead pastor? So we were going through all my goals, my wife and I. I'm like, I didn't achieve any of my 2016 goals because I had a major life transition. But that doesn't mean that I don't do my part to, to lay them out again. So I'm telling you, actually, my 2017 goals are all my 2016 goals. <laughs> but the point is this. Um, this, is all, this is all not just like, it's not just things we write down. These are matters for prayer. These are, these are really, really important spiritual matters because it's how we steward our lives. But we also lay all these plans and these words out in front of God and go, God, if you're willing, please make these happen. Thank you.